All right. Brothers and sisters, once again, I want to invite each of you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Galatians 4 as we look once again at these wondrous words that communicate all manner of Christmassy goodness to us. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes thus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for being willing to come and being willing to lay down your life for the sheep. Thank you. Thank you for taking your life back up again and for ruling over all creation for your glory and the good of your people. And we thank you, Spirit, for being willing to come and apply all of Christ's accomplishments for us. And we thank you for being willing to indwell us. Oh God, we ask that in this time, that you would be glorified and we would be encouraged. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, this is Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. And we say Merry Christmas as a traditional seasonal greeting, but oftentimes we struggle with the merry part, don't we? It can be a challenge to feel merry, to feel, to feel happy at this time of season. We, we call it festive, we call it joyous, but, but I don't know about you, it's all too common to feel uh, downright irritable, and, and, and it's almost like it's an artificial experience of merriment when I conjure it up through various television shows or foods or lights, um, and that's a shame. Isn't it? It's a shame that it's not really, for many of us, a joyous time. Christmas, brothers and sisters, is the announcing of God's love for us in the coming of his son. And so what we're going for in this brief series is to answer the question, why or how can we experience comfort and joy at Christmas time? Why and how? And so, 
The last two weeks, we've been looking at these verses right here, and we saw in the first week that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and, and we talked about how the times that we live in are not random. The times that we live in aren't just going haywire. The times that we live in may appear to us from our vantage point to be chaotic and random, but they're not. From God's vantage point, he is orchestrating and moving human affairs and human history to its de designated point. And it's not just the grand movements of history, the rising and falling of empires and nations. No, he is in charge of our story. And just as he directed human affairs to coalesce in that pristine moment in which the arrival of his son was, was perfectly timed, so too he's moving history, which involves your story and my story, and it weaves together until just the right moment when at the time of the father's own choosing, the son will return. Your times are in the hands of the Lord. Your days are not an accident. And so, be of good cheer. Life may feel topsy-turvy, but you are under the cool direction of a kind, wise, good, loving God who has a plan for you from eternity past. He has loved you. And, and we know this because in the very next clause, as we learned last week, the sent forth his son part, the sending forth is is not just opening the doors and letting the little birdie fly away and just go, bird. No, it's, it's a soldier with a mission to accomplish. It's, it's a servant with a task to get done. And what this points to, it's, a, it's an allusion to what we refer to in our tradition as the covenant of redemption. Namely, before the world or the cosmos was created, Back when it was God and only God. The persons of the Trinity had a conference, so to speak. And the Father willed to glorify the Son in the salvation of some. And that some was given to the Son as a love gift from the Father. And the Son agreed to accept that gift and to come and be their mediator to save. So from eternity past, the Father has loved you. And at just the right moment in history, the Son was sent to accomplish the thing the Father had been willing from eternity past. The Father loves you. And the Son came because he loves you too. He loved you. And he gave himself for you. That's awesome news. But sadly, many of us feel 
that, okay, the Father, he, he loves us. The Son, okay, he loves us. But I still don't feel merry and joyful. Well, let us. In John 14, Jesus tells us, I will not leave you as orphans. An orphan is in a sad position. Even in our advanced society, an orphan is, is, becomes a, a ward of the state. Unless, unless there's some family member to take them in, a warfan, an orphan is on their own. In other parts of the world, they, they face a dire and terrible future, don't they? And Jesus will not leave you alone. Do you feel alone? And if you do, know that it's not that Jesus has failed. It's that we have forgotten something. You see, in the same section of John that, that Jesus talks about not leaving us as an orphan. He has the audacity to say that it's better for us that he leave us. How is that? Think about that. You're, you're one of the disciples, you're sitting there, and, and Jesus says to you, it's better for you that I go away. How is it better that Jesus goes away? Because if I don't go away, Jesus says, the helper won't come. So Jesus himself says to us, it's a good thing he goes away, so that the helper who comes in his name will be here. And who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at the behest of the Father and the Son. And here in our passage in Galatians, you see two great sendings by the Father. In verse 4, God sent forth his Son... In verse 6, God has sent the spirit of his son. And so we, we remember the, the first sending at Christmas time. We, we call this Advent, right? And, and what celebrates or commemorates the, the second great sending of the Father? Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. And things were different. It's awesome seeing the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. When, when in just a, 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 a moment, they go from being fearful, terrified people hiding in, in a room with the doors and the windows shut to Minutes later, what are they doing? They're outside preaching for the world. The Holy Spirit comes to help. And he too loves you. You are loved by the triune God. And each person of the Godhead whether it's willing, working, or applying, 
has your salvation in mind. And that's awesome. That is awesome. The Holy Spirit really should play a larger role in our practical theology. The third person of the Trinity. Um, we, we, we have kind of, I don't want to, love, hate is not the right word, but we have, it's, it's hard because in the New Testament, for example, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not, um, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't draw any attention to himself. He draws all attention to the Son. And so, how, how much emphasis should we put on someone who, who doesn't draw any attention to themselves? They, 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 they come to do, to glorify the Son. Well, he's the third person of the Godhead, so he should be glorified. But the work of the Holy Spirit is sublime. When Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, a verse we all love, we at least love the, the second half of the verse, I have come that they may have life and barely eke out a scratched living at the side of a cliff. No, of course not. I have come that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. All right. Does that abundant life mean that Jesus has come that we might all be, be wealthy and have our own private planes? Of course not. And anyone who tells you that is lying to you. Or, or, or they're just so deceived that they don't know what truth is. No. The abundancy of the life Jesus is talking about is the fruit that comes from the active presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit, what he does, can be shorthanded and, to, and we can say he applies all the benefits of Christ's accomplished salvation to us. That's kind of academic though, isn't it? You got to look around the New Testament to see what all the Holy Spirit does. But he calls us. He's the one who takes the external call that is offered when we present the gospel. Repent and believe. Some hearts are like hard soil and it just and it just bounces off and the Holy Spirit is the one who inwardly calls and convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and, and converts us, regenerates our hearts and gives us new life. The Holy Spirit then comforts us Assuring us that we are indeed sons of God. We are equipped for service by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dispenses gifts. The Holy Spirit encourages us when we are down that we indeed have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. I love reading Romans 8. Many of you love it too. We have two intercessors in Romans 8. Jesus is referred to as interceding for us, but so too does the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. That the Holy Spirit's level of intercession goes so deep as to pray on our behalf. 
That's awesome. And in all this, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us because that's the grand goal, to make us more and more like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of things to come, and that's where we come back into our passage. We saw last week that Jesus came, born of woman, and that's a, that's a, uh, a reference to his full and true humanity, born under the law. So those two qualifiers, born of woman and born under the law, they, they signify to us that he was born with the same physical limitations and the same obligations, the same obligations to obey God's law perfectly in its totality. So in other words, he's lived truly as one of us. So that in Hebrews, when it refers to Jesus as a sympathetic high priest, that's what it means. He knows what it's like to have frustrating parents, kids. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to have neighbors that drive him crazy. He knows what it's like to experience the hardship of a bad night's sleep even. And so we can turn to him knowing that he cares truly for us. And we saw that the mission for which Jesus came was our redemption. That we might be redeemed because we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But that this itself, the redemption of our lives, of our souls, was, was actually <clears throat> to get us to an even grander vision. Jesus didn't just come to, to save. The salvation itself had a purpose. That we might be adopted. And we saw, we, we went back and we saw how God's movement throughout history from Genesis 3 had been to restore the relational fellowship that had been broken by, man, by Adam and Eve's transgression in the garden. And so we saw that his love of you was so great that it's not just that he wanted to save you. He wants to fellowship with you. And that God's love is demonstrated in the fact that we were, we were not just sinners, we were enemies. Rebels, active belligerents, and he tames us. He gives us new life and a new heart and a new inclination. And, and he washes us and cleanses us and receives us into his family. Into his family. And he calls us sons. Sons. It's not that God is not into femininity. He created femininity. But ladies, you're sons of God. And that's an important designator. Because in the world in which the New Testament was written, a girl didn't have an inheritance. So by calling you a son, it's a legal designation. He's saying that even you, 
every one of us is an heir. And that's the part that I want to get to. Because you are sons, it says in verse 6, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to do what? Everything we've said that the Holy Spirit does. Convicting us, calling us, converting us, equipping us, comforting us, sanctifying us, crying, Abba, Father. And we see right there the, the beginnings of the relational intimacy that we are to have with God. We can call him Abba Father. And of course, famously, Abba is the term of, of intimate familiarity. Daddy. And it begins... When we're converted, we have gone from death to life, from, from enemy to, to beloved son with an inheritance. And, and, and that relational beginning is to cry out to God, Father. But the glorious news is it progresses even from there. And we've, we see in the New Testament that the grand, awesome vision before us is that we, having become partakers of the divine nature, will see God as he is, face to face. And we will bask in unmitigated relationship forevermore. And the New Testament peaks at the inheritance we have with Christ it speaks of Jesus reigning and judging. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know those things, right? Jesus is going to rule the nations, it says. And, 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 and in 1 Corinthians, they're having these petty civil disputes in the church. And Paul reminds, admonishes them, hey, don't do that. Remember, you're, you're going to judge angels. And in Revelation, we're told that those who are in Christ reign with him. So the inheritance is, we get a glimpse of it. That even the ruling and reigning aspect of Christ's office we will share in. Our elder brother is not selfish. Even his rule and his reign he shares with his younger brothers and sisters. That's us. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so, because of that, that the Holy Spirit is given to you as a guarantee, comforting you in your afflictions, the Son of God will come, and suddenly that guarantee will be exchanged for the real and final product. You will get your inheritance, and you will be finally perfected. So Christmas time is the grand 
flashing sign that all of God's redemptive promises are true. He had promised for thousands of years a Messiah. And he came. And you, Christian, child of the living God by faith, have the third person of the Trinity indwelling you, communicating to you the plan and purpose of God the Son and applying to you everything that Jesus purchased for you. So be of good cheer. Some of you, this has been a rough year. Hold on. Jesus is with you. He has sent his spirit into your heart. For some of you, next year is going to be a challenging year. Hold on. God loves you. He has loved you from eternity past. Not just some, not just some wash, mass humanity crowd with, 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 with just a sea of people. He singled you out and called you by name. He loves you. He sent his son for you. That's awesome. So you can be of good cheer because there's absolutely nothing in this world that can thwart, undermine, or replace any of that. Instead, we can just cheer that the son of God came. And because he came, he subsequently conquered. And because he conquered, we know he's coming again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for sending your son. We ask that we would be joyful because our deliverance has been accomplished. And even by your spirit, it is being applied. Grant that we would with great joy Remember that nothing this world throws at us can deter or defeat any of your purposes. And indeed, Jesus tells us that he has overcome the world so we can take heart. Be with us and continue to work out your purposes for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.